0: Jesus, I crave to know you to know you will satisfy my soul. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This is the 100th episode of the Bible Study Podcasts. And I just want to thank you for taking the time. If, um, if this is your first time, I pray that this is uh, going to be a blessing to you. Appreciate those who have taken the time to join me on this journey. Uh, It's hard to believe that we are already to one hundred episodes. So I want to thank y'all and thank the Lord for giving me the um, the drive to to press into you know this type of deep water, and so I'm just thankful for it. So today I am going to be sharing a message that's entitled drawing near to God. Uh, This is a topic that is, um, no pun intended near and dear to my heart. Um, nearness to God is something that has marked my life in this past, I would really say four, four years or so since the Lord really transformed my heart. And so drawing near to God is something that is, is deeply important to, to my journey, to my walk. And, uh, something I wouldn't, I'm not trade for anything is the proximity, the nearness to God. It brings a, it brings a a reality to relationship of, uh, uh, with God that it, it just, everything else is just flickering in the wind by comparison. So I pray this will uh, minister to you and that the Holy Spirit would use it, multiply it beyond anything that I'm capable of doing. Um, I've seen too many times I'm I'm not enough, but he makes all of our efforts uh, worthwhile and uh, powerful through himself. So, uh, drawing near to God. Now, this phrase, draw near to God, is one that is likely very familiar. Perhaps the familiarity of it has caused us to casually pass by it. This idea of drawing near to God has been an idea that I've been stewing in here most recently. It's rather an interesting but peculiar idea if you give it time to ponder on. How can one draw near to God? Isn't God in all places across all time? How can one draw nearer than he already is? Do you see the conundrum? Yet... This paradox aside, the Bible clearly tells us to do just that. Namely, we read in James 4.8, which says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, we may be tempted to explain that what James might be talking here is to non-believers in the sense of draw near to God in terms of changing your allegiance, But that attempt, however, does not fit the flow of James' narrative. His introduction of his book identifies that this is written to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, indicating the people of God. The overarching theme of the book of James is both instructive and corrective. This, too, would lend itself to believers rather than non-believers. Chapter 4 itself advocates the readers to submit to God. While the unsaved could learn and apply these teachings and the principles to their life, the predominant audience of James would be the people of God. So back to our original thought of drawing near to God. How does a believer do this? The first place I want to see in scripture is Isaiah 29:13, which says, "These people come or draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught." Now this tells us directly that drawing near to God is not something that is done with your mouth. This also tells us indirectly that drawing near to God is something that is done from the place of the heart. God identifies that a person may say everything right, but indeed be far from him, which would be contrary to drawing near to God. This scripture then identifies that it is from the place of the heart that a person is near or far from God, not by what we say. Now, many of us have been close in proximity to someone, but felt a million miles away from them. So it is not what we say or even how close we physically are to a person, but it's a measure of the heart. Now, this next passage tells us how a person is enabled to draw near to God. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who diligently or earnestly seek Him. Now, these are two very important ingredients for the prerequisite action Of drawing near to god first we must believe that god exists in order to draw near now naturally speaking if we didn't believe god exists there would be nothing that we would draw near to secondly we must believe that god rewards those who seek him in part a of that verse the writer says without faith it is impossible to please god So the very act of drawing near to God is an act of faith. When we demonstrate faith, we are pleasing to God. So if you want to be pleasing to God, keep demonstrating faith. One way we demonstrate that faith is by drawing near to Him. We can draw near to Him because, one, we believe He exists, and two, that God will reward us for diligently seeking Him. Now, this is a side note here. Do not marry yourself to only one translation or one version of the Bible. You will miss things. So it says, He rewards those who. There's two words here, depending on the translation that you get. He rewards those who diligently or earnestly seek Him. Now, The NIV says earnestly. Now, that is to mean sincerely. And the King James Version uses the word diligently. And that communicates this idea of persistence. Now, both of these words are important and both communicate a very special perspective of what it means to seek him. Now, the ESV, the English Standard Version, just just says he rewards those who seek him. But those other translations add something very special. It, it, it communicates the, the, the way in which we do so, the way in which we seek him sincerely, persistently. Those are so critical to what the pursuit of God entails. They add very important dimension to the phrase seeking God. Okay, a question that we should be asking is what is the reward for our seeking him? Remember, he rewards those who diligently seek him. That's Hebrews eleven six, like we said. Now, to be clear, we're not seeking him because of a reward. Rather, we are questioning, we are asking this question to, so that we can understand the promise. What is the reward? Now take a moment, just a moment, to ask and answer the question to yourself. I'll pause right after for just a second or two to to let you answer it. What would be the greatest reward? Did you say God himself? You see, he is the treasure hidden in the field, that you would sell everything you own to purchase that field. If you're familiar with this particular passage, the, it's in Matthew 13, 44. This is where we see this treasure in a field. Now, have you ever noticed or thought, asked the question, that the man doesn't buy the treasure, he buys the field? Why is that? Well, I believe it's because the land houses the treasure. Buying the field... Or, if you will, the land is covenantal. It's more intimate than just transactional possession. What I mean by that is, I I see something I want, I purchase it, and it becomes mine. This transactional interchange. Purchasing the land is establishing a covenant with that property. Imagine you come to find that there is oil underground on a property. Now, you go to the landowner and you seek to buy the oil, but you couldn't afford the price. Rather, you buy the land and then you have access to all of its hidden treasures. You see, Jesus did the same thing to us. Now, of course, he could afford us in any form you understand this is just kind of a metaphor but rather than just pay the debt of our sin he bought the land that is our whole body do you see that rather than just transact to pay for a pay for our sin debt that we that we couldn't pay rather he purchased us our whole person He formed covenant with us by purchasing our whole self. When we draw near to God, He draws near to us. Quote, for whoever would draw near to God, we skip through, God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So this is kind of a combination of the verses kind of truncated, but I think it does show something very special. For whoever would draw near to God, God rewards those who earnestly seek him. The reward we receive is more of God. Hmm. Desire is born of seeking God. I believe that desire is the reward for seeking him. Drawing near to God causes him to draw near to us. That's significantly profound when you think about it. An action that we do elicits a response from god. Remember james four eight says, "Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So there's something inside of That sequence, when we come to him, he comes near to us. We could probably just spend a whole moment inside of that one part. You see, there are two types of people in this world. Those that desire God and those that do not. Now, think on that little statement and the truth that it contains in summing up humanity. You either desire God or do not. That, I believe, is the predicament of the human heart, the lack of desiring God. Now, speaking naturally, there are degrees of desire we may have for certain people. You will desire your spouse or your children in differing degrees compared with, say, a neighbor or a church friend. I think this carries over to our spiritual life as well. We may desire God in different degrees. Many of us can look back to times and seasons where our desire and hunger for God was at an all-time high. We can also recall times when we've desired everything else but God. We may be in those places this very moment. I do not believe this is the intention of God. Why? Second Corinthians 3.18, which says, "We But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. It doesn't say from glory to wasteland. You see, our physical lives have ups and downs, mountains and valleys, but our spiritual lives go from glory to glory, from, if you will, mountaintop to mountaintop. I realize that that's glory Does not equal mountaintop. Just kind of a metaphor. If it isn't going from glory to glory, then we are settling for less than what we have access to through the Spirit of God. You may ask, how do I get up to this mountaintop to go from glory to glory? Well, David tells us in Psalm 24, 3 through 5, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? and who shall stand in his holy place. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts through the blood of Jesus Christ refuse the false cling to the truth of god's word jesus says i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but by me the christian journey is one of a deepening relationship with god when a person first gets married they have a desire for their spouse marked by unique passion and burning As the years progress, we often find this passion and burning transformed into something quite different. It's not uncommon for those of many years of relationship to exhibit less of passion and burning, but more of a comfort and appreciation. While this has its pros, it does indeed have its cons. Those those unique relationships that years later have both passion and burning in addition to comfort and appreciation are quite rare and are often even untrusted by the general masses for their lack of belief. The majority cannot understand that type of relationship because they lack that experience. Our spiritual lives can be much the same. Many of us have grown out of passion and burning, and settled into comfort and appreciation with God. I dare say even some listening have forgotten appreciation. Now, when we see those believers who carry passion and burning while also carrying the seasoned relationship with God, we often judge these people because what they have reminds us of our lack or insufficiency in the place of relationship with God. But what if I told you you could have both? Both passionate and seasoned desire for God. Psalm 34, or rather, Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Another way we could say this is, make the delight of your heart the Lord. Now, the word delight in Hebrew means to be glad. But another component to its meaning is to be soft or pliable. Now, remember, delight yourself in the Lord. This is one that's soft and pliable is is one I want to specifically highlight because of the power of what it carries. How does one soften themselves in the Lord? I immediately think of butter. Butter from the cold fridge is firm, hard, difficult to spread. It's not pliable, but expose it to heat and it begins to soften. When we expose ourselves to the presence of God, we soften and even melt near Him. Notice, the more we stay away from His immediate presence, the more cold, callous, and indifferent we become. But when we come near Him, next to the fire of His presence, the warmer, softer, and passionate we become. You see, this takes intention, effort, and contending. The busyness of life will fight to keep you out of this place with him. The devil will fight to keep you out of this place because it's from this place we are most effective for God's kingdom. We take delight in God by drawing near to him. He softens our hearts and forms us through the fire of his nearness. If you don't already have dedicated time for this, do it now. Don't delay. A prayer by A.W. Tozer was recorded as saying, O God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. O God, the triune God, I want to want Thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me Thy glory. I pray thee so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. The end quote if you're in a place where you can um i would ask you just close your eyes to remove yourself from every distraction if you're driving keep your eyes open but just try to focus in and paint this picture in your mind refuse any distraction refuse every wandering thought i want you to envision The throne room of God and his manifold beauty seated upon the throne imagine the living creatures as they encircle the throne singing holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come picture the one seated upon the throne with the appearance of Jasper and Ruby notice the rainbow that encircles the throne. Surrounding the throne are 24 other thrones and seated on them are 24 elders. They are dressed in white and have crowns of gold on their heads. From the one's throne comes flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder in front of the throne. Seven torches of fire are burning. These are the seven spirits of God in front of his throne is what looks like a sea of glass clear as crystal in the center around the throne the four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back the first creature like a lion the second like an ox the third a face like a man the fourth like a flying eagle each creature has six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. As these creatures give glory and honor and thanks to God Most High, eternally seated on the throne, the elders who sit on their 24 thrones fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Friend, God wants you to draw near to him because he wants to draw near to you. God wants you to seek him because he wants to be found by you. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we about what we do not see. All these mighty people used by God in the Old Testament were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better. What better thing had God promised? Jesus told his disciples that in Luke 24, 49, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's Acts one, four through five. Paul tells the Colossian church The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. End quote. Christ is made available to you through his body himself. You have before you, an opportunity to become the dwelling place of God. Or perhaps remember that you already are. You now can become the temple of God. Through the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, you have access to infinite God who knows no beginning and no end. Now, who will say, I've never given myself my whole life to Jesus, to lead me and direct me for his good pleasure, but I do want to. If that is indeed you, I want to give you a framework for prayer. Now, I don't like repeat after me prayers because the words themselves don't save you. It's the posture and desire of your heart toward Jesus that saves you. These prayers, these words, give our feeble minds something to process. But say this out loud Jesus, I'm not enough. I'm a sinner. I need your saving grace. Forgive me for the life I've lived, take control of my life I give you the throne of my heart rule and reign in and through me thank you for loving and saving me by the name of Jesus amen now if this is a prayer that you offered to Jesus just lift your hands and thank him for saving you and doing what's been done in your heart and what he continues to do. Now, we're going to pray one more pray one more prayer together. This is for everyone listening, those who have who have made that acknowledgement of their submission to Jesus and those who are already serving him, maybe even faithfully or even perhaps marginally. So, again, I, will, I offer a framework of prayer, but this is something that comes from your heart to God. My Father in heaven, your name is holy. I magnify and exalt your name. Bring me deeper into knowing you. Take me deeper than the surface transform my life through knowing you birth in me a hunger for you empower me to climb your holy hill walk and talk and fellowship with me Let my light shine brighter than it ever has. Release the power of your spirit in and upon my life. Through the name of Jesus, amen. I believe that something powerful happens in prayer. If I I may already have, but... I'd like to maybe do an episode to where I discuss prayer in more detail, but just to say that the power of prayer is phenomenally important, and it's something that we as believers take for granted or don't think actually as much as we should. I myself am guilty of my my lack of prayer, but I do believe that when we offer up these words, these offerings to God from the sincerity and the earnestness of our hearts. God takes that prayer and he says, I will have that. And it is only by his ability, his power, his abil- His strength that he can take that prayer and form it into reality. So whatever your story is, wherever you are, whatever your life looks like, if we offer those those prayers, those earnest petitions to God, I believe that he takes it and he affirms it and he will establish it in your life. So if you've prayed those things, first of all, I'm thankful that God would draw your heart to himself so that you can know the saving grace through Jesus Christ, the only way to come into a salvation knowledge of God. And, and then secondly, if you prayed for the deep, the depth of knowing God, knowing the son, Jesus Christ, asking for hunger and desire to be birthed and formed in you, a fellowship of knowing and spending time with and talking with the Lord. I'm confident that he will, by his Holy Spirit, will breathe that breath of that, that that wind of the Spirit into your life and fan the flame of desire in your heart. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Uh, thank you for taking this time with me today. I pray this is a blessing. Uh, share this episode if you, if you could. Get this out to as many people as possible. And uh, happy 100th episode. Everyone have a blessed day. I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you, and in your house I'll